Check low. Check, 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 check. Low, Johnny. Testing one, two, three. Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox. <laughs> back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I'm Ernesto Sanchez. I am here with John Downing, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Johnny. Yo. How you doing, man? Uh, it's been a rough week, and the hits just keep on coming, so I'm hoping at some point it turns. Yeah, well, even if it doesn't, it's been a good run so far. It has, but the, the rough week began, so the Bruins win game six on a Sunday night, but right before the third period started, we find out that David Ortiz was shot. Right. Okay. And then... So you couldn't even enjoy the win. You couldn't enjoy that, and so there were just a number of things that happened. Um, they, then the Bruins lose game seven on Wednesday. Anthony Davis gets traded to the freaking Lakers and not the Celtics. Kyrie... Irving announces he's leaving. Whether I wanted him to stay is only the question. I've already announced that I just I trust whatever Danny's plan was or is, mm-hmm. and I have to believe that he wanted to keep him because losing a valuable asset like Kyrie Irving and getting nothing in return, not even the cap space to sign another player in his stead, they lose that too. Yeah, so, that doesn't sound like a winning formula. You know, it's just they lose him for nothing, so that's not good. And now Al Horford just announced that he's leaving. Um, so that's a, that's another hit to the Celtics. So Bruins down, Celtics down, the Red Sox and Ortiz down. Um, I guess we had the Patriots spring party on Thursday. That's something. So, yeah, but it, some drama there as well. Yes. No, but we'll, we'll yes, get to we'll that get later. That. Uh, first off, let's do our number 29. So the 29th episode. My number 29 this week is John Andrew Smoltz, nicknamed Smoltzy. He's former American baseball pitcher, played 22 seasons from 1988 to 2009. Um, played all but his last season for the Atlanta Braves. He finished his career with the Red Sox, believe it or not. And, you know, he was part of the trio of celebrated Hall of Fame pitchers, you know, with Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and John Smoltz, propelled Atlanta to perennial pennant contention in the 90s highlighted by their 1995 world series uh he won the national league cy young in 1996 going 24 and 8 that was the most victories by a national league pitcher since 1972 uh predominantly he was known as a starting pitcher but later in his career he had some injuries and so he was converted to a reliever in 2001 because he had to have tommy john surgery and he spent four years as the, the Braves' closer before returning to a starting role in 2005. In 2002, he broke the National League record with 55 saves, becoming only the second pitcher with Dennis Eckersley to record both a 20-win season and a 50-save season. And he's the only pitcher in Major League history to record both 200 wins and 150 saves. Um, his career win-loss record is 213 and 155. He had an ERA for his career of 3.33, had 3,084 strikeouts, and then, like I said, 154 saves. Um, So those are the stats on Smoltz. Smoltz was a guy that, you know, he also would be known as included in one of the worst trades in Major League history. He was traded from the Tigers, who drafted him, uh, for Doyle Alexander in 1988. Uh, Who? Doyle Alexander. (laughs) And uh, he was the kind of the first piece for the Braves in their rebuilding plan. Because in the mid to late 80s, the Braves were a bad team. And then, you know, things turned. They got Bobby Cox. They got him from president and turned him into the manager. And they started collecting assets. And Smoltz was the first piece to, to start, you know, the whole rebuild. And, you know, like I said, with Maddox and Glavin, they just had a trio of Hall of Fame pitchers for the whole entire 90s. And... They were just an unbelievable trio. They should have actually won more World Series than they did. And, in fact, I remember recording videotapes of the World Series when it was the Braves against the Twins, and John Smoltz lost Game 7, the famous Game 7, that was uh, one nothing in the 10th inning. Jack Morris 
pitched the Twins to the Game 7 win in the World Series. So that had to be heartbreaking for Smoltz, but he redeemed himself by winning the World Series in 95. But they did make the World Series a number of times in the 90s. Some say they should have won more, but they were known as the team of the decade with the most wins, most World Series appearances, and Smoltz was definitely a big part of that. And to be able to switch from starter to reliever at the end of his career is just... um. You know, another sign of a great pitcher that he is. And now you can find him on MLB Network. Um, and he also calls games for um, Fox. And I think he's pretty good at it. Smoltzy. Right. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Now, my 29 should be fairly obvious. Have You've had some time to think about it since I chastised you about it earlier. This is a layup, man. I can't believe you haven't guessed this one yet. This will haunt you. 29. Steelers. Has to be a stealer. My number 29 is the flower, Marc Andre Fleury. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, I should have known that. <laughs> uh, he was drafted by the Pens in 2003, first overall. Uh, he was only the third goalie ever to be drafted uh, first. Oh, he was the number one pick. He was the number one pick in the 2003 draft. We actually uh, traded up for that pick that year. Now he plays with uh, the Golden Knights after 13 seasons with the Pens, and then he went over to Vegas in the expansion draft. Three-time Stanley Cup champion. He's an Olympic gold medalist, although um, he didn't play in any of the games. They had uh, Luongo and Brodeur uh, in those games, so you can see why he was playing third fiddle there. Obviously was instrumental in Vegas's postseason success last year really carried them through the first three rounds. Uh, and then, of course, they wound up losing uh, to the Washington Capitals. Four-time All-Star. His 798 games played are third all-time uh, by an active goalie and 17th all-time. His 439 wins are also third all-time really? by active goalies. Oh, by active, okay. <clears throat> and eighth all-time. Well, how do you say that? Eighth, eighth all-time... All time? Amongst all goalies. <laughs> all time. All time, all time. Double all time. Uh, he has 56 shutouts, um, a record of 439, 250, and 77, with a goals against of 256 and a save percentage of 913. Um, one of my favorite Penguins of all time. Uh, so sad to see him go. Although, you know, it's it's nice to now also have a West Coast team that I really love. And uh, I keep up with that side of the conference now. So it, it helps having somebody to root for. And the, and the whole Vegas story was such, uh, you know, I just really fell in love with that team and, and the magic that they had. And he was a huge part of that. I mean, he was one of the biggest faces uh, of their franchise, you know, for a team that doesn't have a captain. He was really a leader on that team and really the the face of the franchise, you know. Well, the defenseman last year, he was a good leader too. Yeah, I'm talking about the the first the first year, you know. Cause no, that, you have, that's you, what I'm talking about too. The Penguin, uh, the former Penguin. Oh, oh, Derek Angland? No. Not, um... Better than that. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's Derek Angland. He was, he's lives in Vegas and he was like the hometown guy and everybody kind of rallied around him. But you were actually thinking of James Neal? Yeah. Left winger. Yeah, but Not he defensive. came he came from the Predators. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the real deal James Neal, but uh never never had success with that guy. He wasn't with us for the 09 run. I thought he was. I remember. No, but what about the 16? James Neal? He was no, he he. Okay. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he was he was on the Predators you're when we right. when we beat I them. Right. Okay. Yeah. I remember seeing that and thinking, ah, man, well, it was I just funny. It was just funny that James Neal had the opportunity. You know, went went to back to back cups and lost them both. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. But uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, one of those goalies who. Um, the town really turned on at one point when when we lost to the Flyers. Very divisive. In, uh, what was it, 2012? You know, and, and then again when we got shut out in 
uh, and swept in 2013, you know, people thought get Flurry out of town and all that. And he saw a sports psychologist and turned his shit around. And in 2015, he had 10 shutouts in in the season, um, which led all goalies that year. And Matt Murray, coincidentally, also had 10 shutouts in the AHL as well. And I was like, holy shit. Goaltending in Pittsburgh, three-time Stanley Cup champion, really integral in uh, especially the second. I mean, he was really, really hurt for that um, 2016 Cup uh, for most of that and wound up sitting on the bench. Um, for a yeah, long I remember that. that. You know, and it was like, when are they When are they going to play him? Play him, and, and they just never did. And, you know, all's well that ends well. But, man, what a story. Marc-Andre Fleury, the flower. All right, moving on. Uh, I heard Anthony Davis is going to be having a new home. Yep, LeBron gets his way again. Rich Paul, his agent, gets it done for him. And, uh, you know, Le- LeBron and the Lakers get their way, and the Celtics get the shaft, and that continues with Al Horford news that he's leaving tonight. Um, so I just kind of, instead of focusing solely on the Anthony Davis aspect of the trade, Let's just look back at what's gone wrong for the Celtics in the past calendar year. Okay, so a little over a year ago, at this time, the Celtics had just taken the Cleveland Cavaliers. They had the lead in the fourth quarter of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals at home. And they were playing without Kyrie Irving, who was hurt, without Gordon Hayward, who was hurt, and the young guys... We're carrying the day, and they, like I said, they had the lead in the fourth quarter of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals at home, and you're thinking, even though they lost and maybe they should have won, whatever, the future is pretty darn bright for these Celtics because they're going to have all these young guys who just made it this far, and then they're going to have Kyrie Irving come back, an all-star, one of the best players in the league talent-wise, Gordon Hayward, who's been an all-star, coming back as well. So you add two all-stars to that mix. And then you also have the potential to trade for someone like Anthony Davis, who we've known Danny Ainge has coveted for a long, long time, many years. You know that you have the assets to make that trade more so than anyone else in the league because you have the Sacramento pick. And Sacramento, we'll, we'll get into it. So here's the timeline. So October of 2018 comes along. Um, LeBron had just headed west, left Cleveland, and gone to the Lakers. So the Eastern Conference is wide open, meaning... And then the the Celtics begin the year as odds-on favorite to make the NBA Finals in 2019, uh, supposed to play against the Warriors. That's what all the Vegas books said. Overwhelming odds. It's the Celtics are in command in the East. It should be a great team this year. And Kyrie comes back. Gordon Hayward is back. They're healthy, adding on to this young core. At the um, opening game night, Kyrie stands in front of the season ticket holders in the Boston Garden and he announces, if you'll have me back, I plan on re-signing here as a, for when I'm a free agent at the end of the season. So I'll be coming back. Okay. Then, you, so as far as assets go for the Celtics, they have Sacramento's pick unless it becomes the first pick overall. So they had Sacramento's pick with a top one protection. And Sacramento had drafted in the bottom 10 of the draft for nine straight seasons. And they've had 13 straight losing seasons. And now, the year that the Celtics get their pick, suddenly Sacramento has their best year in 13 seasons. And the pick, instead of becoming a top 5 or a top 10 pick, it now becomes pick number 14. All right? The Lakers, once LeBron realizes he can't make the playoffs and his players all quit because they heard they were going to get traded midseason for Anthony Davis, LeBron stopped playing. The Lakers, instead of fighting for the eighth spot, they quit on the season and they just missed the playoffs. And they somehow, the ping-pongs bounce their way and they jump up seven spots and they get the fourth pick. And like I said, the Celtics get Sacramento's pick, which is now number 14. You know, back in October, you would have thought that these roles would have been reversed. You know, the Celtics would have had the fourth pick. So they get screwed that way. Uh, so we find out Anthony Davis wants out. Celtics have the assets. They're, Anthony Davis is friends with Kyrie Irving. This is all good. So you're going to re-sign Kyrie Irving. And you have the assets to trade for him. 
So nine months later, the Celtics had turned what they were the year before, which was the two seed in the East, into the fourth seed. And instead of making it to almost the finals by making it to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, they they get smashed in the second round by the Milwaukee Bucks. So And the season was just a disaster. They finished with way less wins than anyone thought they would have at 48 um, Hayward struggles with the injuries and in coming back. He's very inconsistent. And now he goes from former All-Star to having the worst contract in the NBA, getting paid $31 million a year. To suck. Uh, it, back in February, Kyrie says to, to Boston, in not so many words, go fuck yourself, Boston. I don't owe shit to anybody. And like I said, the Sacramento pick had turned into number 14. Um, Lakers jumped seven spots from 11 to 4th in the draft. Um, enabling them to use that asset to trade for Anthony Davis. So it's just a complete disaster. On the flip side, the Lakers, so the Celtics had done everything right. They've positioned themselves with all these assets over the years to get themselves exactly where they wanted to be. And by no fault of their own, all these things just went completely against them. You know, they, you know, you couldn't have predicted any of these things. You didn't know Kyrie was going to suddenly become a douchebag and just flip his mind and not want to be in Boston all of a sudden and play like an asshole in the playoffs. You didn't know that. And so, but well, meanwhile, the Celtics did everything right. The Lakers did everything wrong. Magic Johnson quits on the team. Um, they had, in the years prior, they had high picks. They took Lonzo Ball over Jason Tatum with the number two pick. They took Brandon Ingram over Jalen Brown with the number one, number two pick. Uh, the year, years before that, they had taken D'Angelo Russell and Julio, Julius Randle. They didn't have the patience to wait for those guys to develop, and they traded them for pennies on the dollar. So they just made mistake after mistake after mistake. Front office is a mess as Magic Johnson quits. There's infighting between uh, Jeannie Buss, the owner, uh, Magic, Rob Palinka, Kobe's friend, uh, and the Rambuses. Nobody knows who's in control. Um, but now, all of a sudden, it comes last week where it's announced that Anthony Davis is going to be traded to the Lakers. And it's just a really frustrating scenario if you're a Celtics fan, realizing what you could have had and what you probably should have had. And now, you don't get any of that. Not only do you not get Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving is leaving town. Um, now, Al Horford is leaving town. So, now they're like maybe a borderline playoff team last year or next year. Um, the youth, youth movement is in full effect, so now the team is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward and Marcus Smart, and that's it. Maybe Terry Rozier stays, but they don't have much else beyond that. So now the Celtics, if you're a Celtics fan, you have to wait for the young kids to develop. Um, they're still very young, and they could develop into something special, but what seemed like a surefire plan for them to be great and have a nice window of competing for a championship for the next four, five, six, seven years, now seems like it's a few years out. And it's unfortunate that Anthony Davis goes to the Lakers. It's just that Anthony Davis didn't want to come to Boston. He announced it. His agent announced it. And if Kyrie Irving was going to leave town, you know, was it worth trading for Anthony Davis and giving up Jason Tatum, knowing Anthony Davis would be a free agent at the end of the season next year, saying he doesn't want to be in Boston? So you trade for Anthony Davis, he plays one year in Boston, and then he leaves next year because you don't have Kyrie Irving and he doesn't want to be there. And then you traded Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis. So next year you would have no Kyrie, no Anthony Davis, no Jason Tatum. Then you would really have no assets. So you know, maybe the Celtics did the right thing and not trading Anthony Davis. In fact, I'm probably sure that they did do the right thing because without any assurances that Anthony Davis would commit long-term to the Celtics, could you really give up this valuable asset? And many people think Tatum's going to be a future MVP candidate. Probably not, right? Right, right. And so it seems to like it might just be good for the locker room anyways to get Kyrie's negativity and bullshit out of there. And maybe they can, you know, have the chip on their shoulder next year. Nobody's ex expectations are way down now. You way know, down. not all not all teams respond well to those to those heightened expectations, especially when when they're set at the beginning of the season. That's a lot to live up to when you're getting crowned conference champion before the first uh, first tip offs even happen. So I think that you know. I hope to see the same thing in my Steelers uh, come next football season where even though there's a lot of big stars packing their bags and leaving, hopefully the environment will be more positive and the team will be better than the sum of its parts and thus a better 
team. So and Tomlin will have so in a similar similar scenario that you're discussing here, Tomlin will have more control of the environment and the locker room, and in Boston. Brad Stevens will have more control of his environment in his locker room without the big Kyrie personality questioning him and judging him at every single turn that he makes. Right, and from what you said, he's he does a lot better with the young guys, anyways. He's not a he's not a star coach. I just yeah, he. I mean, I don't know if anyone can truly coach Kyrie, and that's the other thing people are saying, you know. So. Kyrie had the perfect system for him. He didn't want to play with LeBron James in Cleveland anymore. He orchestrated this trade where he gets traded to Boston two years ago. And everything was perfect. It was set up for him. It was a system where Isaiah Thomas put up unbelievable numbers that no one ever thought he could in the Celtic system. So it was a point guard-centric system where they're allowed to flourish. And everyone thought Kyrie would become an MVP candidate. And... If he was unable to do that and unable to be happy in Boston, Kyrie never seemed happy. If he's going to go to the Nets, which it sounds like, or anywhere else, or go crawling back to daddy, LeBron James in L.A., I mean, mean, if he thinks he's going to be happy somewhere else, he's fooling himself. He's just an unhappy person. And that's what is that the root of Kyrie Irving. So it hasn't officially been announced that Kyrie is leaving, but everyone's operating under that assumption. Uh, we saw the moving trucks at his house in Weston yesterday, and apparently Kyrie's ghosted the Celtics on the phone. Um, they just said that they're supposed to talk before Thursday's upcoming draft to iron things out, but I think that's nothing more than Kyrie saying, thanks for nothing, I'm out, something like that, you know. Hmm. So yeah, it's kind of kind of a shitty way to end a shitty season for the Celtics. Um, I also think that Lakers are going to make a pitch to Kyrie Irving, and it's what it sounds like. That would add insult to injury. Because, you know, you put Kyrie and LeBron back together again, and then Anthony Davis, you know, a guy you wanted in Anthony Davis, a guy you had in Kyrie Irving, a guy you hate in LeBron James. That would just be, you know, (laughs) icing on the cake. But it might make for a good Hollywood story because, who knows, maybe Kyrie and LeBron are fighting by Christmas, you know what I mean? Because they don't like each other at at their core. You know, it sounds like they've made up, but who really knows? Also, that seems like there would be... There's only one ball out there, and there's a lot of guys who like to have the ball in their hand that you sure. just named. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening with that. We do have the draft coming up for for, for the Celtics fans that are going to hang in there like myself and kind of embrace the youth movement and the next wave. And and, and it will be an ex, you know what it will be an exciting brand of basketball to watch. They just the ceiling is going to be capped as far as them winning a championship. I think soon. Um, so we got to embrace the youth movement. They do have draft picks coming up on yeah, Thursday. Look, look how far they went last year, you know, and nobody thought that was possible. Absolutely. So Absolutely. But and, Horford was a big part of that, and Horford leaving hearts because he was a good big to have, a good big and a good team guy to have down low. Yeah, but they'll have Gordon Hayward, um, you know, to kind of fill that void a little bit, and I'm sure they'll pick up some more assets be, between now and then. And Gordon Hayward, I know he's everyone's way down on Gordon Hayward right now because he makes $31 million a year and had just a garbage season last year. But you got to remember he was coming back from that horrific injury that he sustained um, like a year and a half ago. And now an extra year removed from that, I think he will be better. Yeah, he's got to think that he's going to work harder. Right, spend the whole offseason rehabbing it, getting it up to shape. Absolutely. Um, so the Celtics, this this upcoming draft is in two days. It's Tuesday right now, the 18th. Uh, the draft is Thursday, June 20th. And so the Celtics have picks number 14, Sacramento pick, and then they have picks 20 and 22. And I know if you're a Celtics fan, you're like, who cares? It's a three-player draft. If you don't have any of the top three picks, you're screwed. And I'm here to tell you, hey, cheer up. It's not that bad. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of some of the players in the past few years that have gone in in the area where the Celtics are picking, okay? And I'm going to give you I'm going to start by asking you, Ernesto, if I've heard of them. If you've heard of them, <laughs> A, and B, if you know where in the draft they went. So you just tell me the selection that you think corresponds with where they went, okay? All right. Okay. All right. So we'll start with the uh, Finals MVP from the Toronto Raptors, and that is uh, Kawhi Leonard. In 2011, Kawhi Leonard was drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. Where do you think he was picked? Uh, so, in 2011, 
Spurs were still pretty good. I then. like the way you're going about this. So, uh, f- 17th? Very good. Close. Close. 15. Okay. Okay. I almost said 15. All right. Um, Giannis and... Con- <laughs> <laughs> the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> I, I can't. I still can't say his last name. So we say the Greek freak. We say Giannis of the Milwaukee Bucks. He's going to be the MVP of the league this year. He was picked in 2013. Where do you think the Greek freak was drafted? Ten draft. Nope, wrong. Fifteen. Wow. Just like Kawhi Leonard, Giannis went number fifteen. The Celtics have the fourteenth pick this year. Starting to get a little bit more excited about the Celtics pick now, aren't we? Yeah. All right, so the next player we want to talk about is, in 2011, from the Golden State Warriors, Clay Thompson. Where do you think he was taken in the draft? Mm. What, what year again? 2011. This was a good year for the draft. Jeez Louise. Uh, it can't be 15th. <laughs> 15 is out. Uh, say 18? No, 11. Clay 11. Thompson went 11. Wow. So a couple Clay, spots. Clay Thompson Celtics. went before Kawhi Leonard? Yes. Huh. All right. So, I mean, we'll do, we can just stick to the 2011 draft. I know you don't know these guys that well, but I'm just going to tell you. In 2011, these players went um, after 15. Uh, the 16th pick was Nikola Vukovic of the Orlando Magic, the center. Uh, the number 19 pick in the 2011 draft was Tobias Harris of the Sixers. Uh, the 30th pick of the first round in the 2011 draft was Jimmy Butler. All all-star players. All right. So Paul George, where do you think he went in the 2010 draft? Uh, he went number know. 10. Damian Lillard in the 2012 draft. I've heard where, of him. Where do you think he went? Uh, 10th. No, number 6. Oh, okay. Now, the 6 is noteworthy because... Were you, trying this, to, were you just trying to, like, put a put one in there to... Well, no, so I'm just... I'm, I'm going to say this as a report. There's a report out that the Celtics are trying to package the picks that they have, 14, 20, and 22, and potentially move up in the draft because obviously they're losing their point guard, Kyrie Irving, and they want to replace him. And they really like Vanderbilt guard Darius Garland, who the Celtics think if they can move up to number four, five, or six in the draft, they can get him there. For okay, so Lillard was the sixth pick in the draft. In 2009, Steph Curry went at pick number seven. So... <laughs> And then a couple more, like Nikola Jokic of the Nuggets. He was picked in the second round in 2014. He was the 11th pick in the second round. Wow. And then Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors, he was the fifth pick in the second round in 2012. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then a couple centers. Uh, Rudy Gobert was picked 27th in 2013. Clint Capella, center for the Rockets, picked 25th in 2014. And then from the Raptors, point guard Kyle Lowry went 24th in 2006. Those are all fantastic players who went on or near where the Celtics will be picking in this year's draft. So, you know, it's not all that bad. I know it feels bad if you're a Celtics fan, but cheer up, embrace the young picks and the picks that they make, you know, and I I think we have something to look forward to. At least least it sounds like we'll have players – who want to be in Boston and aren't going to be miserable pricks and bring the entire team down for the duration of the season. You know, at least they, you know, will have something to root for, cheer for, and get behind, I think. So that's the news. Horford's out. One more piece of news on the NBA front. Chris Paul demanded a trade today from the Rockets. I don't know if you heard that. Apparently him and James Harden didn't speak for two months during the season. They play together. They start on the same team. Chris Paul and James Harden didn't talk for two months. Anyway, Chris Paul has demanded a trade today. I did hear a rumor today from a kind of reliable source that said there was a three-way deal with the Celtics, Rockets, and the Timberwolves that said Andrew Wiggins would go to the Rockets, Chris Paul would go to the Celtics, and Gordon Hayward would go to Minnesota. Interesting. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Uh, Now I take it this is going to be the last Celtics rant uh until winter well we'll recap the draft next week or next time we talk so another celtics rant to be no no i mean i i think we'll try to embrace the picks (laughs) and then we're gonna have to update free agency too because free agency starts july 1st so we're gonna know where like where kevin durant is gonna go Mm -hmm. clay thompson Kawhi Leonard, we're going to find out where all these guys are officially going. So we're going to have to do a little bit more basketball talk, and then we'll put that on the shelf probably from mid-July until mid-October. All right, sounds good. Uh, Well, before we completely turn away from basketball, uh, basketball adjacent and 
all-around big fucking asshole, LeVar Ball, making a fucking joke of himself on television as per usual. Enjoy. LeVar, can I switch gears with you? for? Because I have a question you here. You can switch gears with me anytime. <laughs> Let's stay oh, focused here. All right, and we're back at Johnny. Is there anybody more eminently hateable than LeVar Ball? He's like Donald Trump wrapped in Bill Cosby with a little sprinkle of O.J. Simpson. He's just so fucking hateable. I'm here. To, I can't wait to see what Jalen Rose's reaction is to that. Obviously, Jalen Rose is Molly Karam Rose's husband. They just got married last July, so they haven't even been married a year. So I'm sure Jalen's going to have some words for LeVar Ball. Ugh. Speaking of OJ, um, he's on Twitter. Let's go. I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's going to be an electric follow, huh? Uh, so far, so good. He's already um, sending 15 knife messages, private messages on Twitter to someone and threatening to kill them and stab them. And, you know, and then Norm MacDonald had to tell... OJ that uh, relax with the videos because uh, you can see exactly where he is and know where OJ lives and then people were like who's gonna want to go to OJ's house <laughs> <laughs> nothing good could possibly come from that no so just the the jokes will be coming so you know if you like comedy and if, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows about O.J. Simpson, so give him a follow on Twitter. I'm sure it'll be a good time. <laughs> good times. All right, uh, moving along. U.S. Women's National Team uh, started kicking ass in the group play round of the uh, Women's World Cup. Put boot to ass on Thailand. Won 13 nothing. Alex Morgan had five goals. Uh, Rose Lavelle and Sam Mewis had two goals each, and four others also had tallies. The first goal uh, was scored 12 minutes in, and the last goal was scored two minutes uh, into injury time. So just an absolute murdering. The spread on that game was 12 and a half, by the way. No, it wasn't. It was. Oh Imagine my if you had Thailand God. plus 12. <laughs> plus 12. That's crazy. My God. So the big controversy in that game is that the women kept celebrating the goals. They must have had a bunch of celebrations planned and they needed to get them out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people... So there's two camps. There's there's the people that are mad that they ran up the score. And then there's the people that are like, no, you know, you got... you. What are you supposed to do? Not try? That would that in itself would be disrespectful. Because there's goal differential in group play. So, right. you, like... If some you know it comes down to tiebreaker, it's about goal differential. So if you can put a whooping on, put a whooping on. So a lot of people just had a problem with the celebrations and and the level of celebration. When you've scored your fifth goal, perhaps perhaps just a high five and <laughs> and jog back to the side. The next game they won three nothing against Chile. Uh, Carly Lloyd scored two goals, and Julie Ertz, Zach Ertz's wife, uh, scored a goal as well. So that's pretty cool. And then they got Sweden next, or tomorrow. But they've already advanced. When this comes out. But yes. they've already advanced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Into knockout that, stage. That, that was pretty pretty much a given anyways. Uh, but Sweden's also has a strong team. They're going but how much this. will they try now knowing that they've already advanced to knockout stage? For U- U.S., I'm saying. Hmm, you that's know. interesting to see. I think, I think, I think you try every game. Especially... Yeah, but you don't want guys to play... Uh, got girls to get... You know, the important girls, Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd. Well, you don't want them getting hurt, you know, so do you limit their minutes, maybe? And you only have three subs, so. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that too much in soccer because you do only have the three subs and you need to use them for injuries or so. Uh, so they're playing Sweden uh, on Thursday. Uh, Sweden beat Thailand 5-1, to one, and they beat Chile Two nothing. So Sweden would have to beat the U.S. by a lot of goals, by like twelve goals, in order to get the number one right spot from the group. Right. But U.S. is advancing anyway. They've already got that. But to win the group and to get a lesser opponent in the first round of the knockout stage, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the U.S. can only lose by what eight, nine goals. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would be difficult to watch, huh? Yeah. 
Another interesting wrinkle for this game, Johnny, is that this is going to be a little bit of a grudge match after Sweden beat the United States in the gold medal game in the Rio Olympics. Interesting. Um, and one of the big highlights from that, I remember, was the U.S. team being really disgusted with the basically trap that the Sweden team was playing. They were playing a strong defensive counter-strike game, completely neutralizing all of USA's firepower. Uh, and I remember Hope Solo, the goalie at the time, famous for the fappening incident. Have you have you seen Hope Solo's pictures? She, yeah, I don't think so. She's got a few on there that is like her whole undercarriage. They're, they're pretty freaking graphic. <laughs> but anyways, um, her comments were that, that the Swedes were cowards, uh, which I thought was just, you know, they won a, a, an aggra- aggravating game. They, they frustrated their offense, and they scored big goals, and they won the game fair and square. And I just thought the, those remarks were classless. So I think a lot of the people on the team, you know, that still doesn't sit well with them. It's been three years, but... Uh, I think they want that payback. So I, I think they are. it's actually going to be a good game. I'll, I'm sure to be tuning into that. Speaking of tuning in, Johnny, did you catch any of the U.S. Open? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not going to lie. After all, it was like a week of championships, and I just I wasn't ready to be done. So on Friday night, or excuse me, on Saturday night, I um, caught the end of Gary Woodland's round. Interesting note, Gary Woodland, the show I watch in, in the, every morning on MLB Network, MLB Central, uh, former Major League Baseball player, uh, Mark DeRosa is, you know, he's uh, one of the main guys on the show. One of his best friends is Gary Woodland, and, you know, they, for years, have been talking about, you know, when he gets done with his segments on the show, he's going to go play golf with Gary Woodland, and he plays with him a lot, and, yeah, interesting to see. So, I knew who he was, Very surprisingly. Cool. Yeah. From, by all accounts, um... Nobody has a bad word to say about him. Just uh, one of those guys that everybody's just incredibly happy that he's finally got his major. He had previously held a 54-hole lead in seven uh, other tournaments and had not won a single one of those. So he won his first major, finishing 13 under par, three strokes ahead of defending champion, defending two-time champion, Brooks Kepka. Uh, spoiling his bid for the three-peat. Who we also like. Yeah, yeah. And they both played great. Uh, the scramble game on Brooks Kepka is just unbelievable. But Gary Woodland just, like, held his held his nerve and uh, kept his foot on the gas. And, you know, the second shot with the three-wood uh, to eventually birdie the 15th hole I mean, there's a huge bunker right in front of the hole, and he just knocks this rocket of a shot, and it bounces off right off the top of the crest of the hill, lands over right by the pin. Amazing stuff. Uh, The cojones on that to be able to pull that off. Uh, Also another big shot uh, was the chip on the 17th green. That's the hourglass green, and he was on the wrong side of the hourglass and just just took a wedge and just dumped it inches from the hole it you it looked like it had a chance to go in the place would have gone fucking crazy if that had gone in it was already pretty nuts for him jim nance has a replica of the 17th hole in his yard on the outskirts of pill beach (laughs) of course he does he does (laughs) Uh, and then finally he drained the putt on 18 to win with authority i mean he he could have three putted and he just put it right in and uh, claimed his championship. So it was fun to watch. Um, I've been really getting into I watched the Masters in its entirety this year. And uh, I got pretty into this. I'll probably watch the British Open when that comes up. It's good. Golf's fun to watch, man. You don't need to pay attention, like, at all. I was scarred as a child. What happened? It's like was like watching the grass grow. While I wanted to watch the NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball on the television, my dad... Had the golf on, so it forced me to go outside and do something else instead because I wasn't going to sit inside on these nice days and watch the grass grow. (laughs) Uh, Tiger Woods finished two under par. Uh, He had a little bit of a slow start 
uh, in the final day. He bogeyed four of the first six holes before turning it around and playing the last 12 at six under par. Uh, so he finished the day two under and the tournament two under. Um, he's likely not going to play before the British Open. Tiger Watch will continue. If you like that sort of thing. A few weeks. Yep. Okay. You know what, John? We shouldn't ignore it any longer. We got to talk about it. I'm sorry. Ah, you suck. The St. Louis Blues were crowned the 2019 Stanley Cup champion, bringing their first championship home ever. What is it you expect of me? We got to talk about it a little bit. I'm. They won. The Bruins lost four to one. Yeah. Season over. There was a little bit of mercy in that the Bruins were never in danger of winning the game. Although they they came out guns a-blazing, and the first 15 minutes they were peppering Bennington with shots, and they just couldn't get one in there. And, I, you know, Bennington made a lot of saves, and some of them were good, and some of them... I, I wonder about the quality of the chances when they had a little bit more time instead of shooting it kind of in a spot where Bennington could get right to it. They also, were they were just they were like playing on with their hair on fire, you know. And I get that it's Game Seven of the Stanley Cup, and you want to just you know get as many chances as you can, and hopefully he fall he you know he falls all over himself in Game Seven. But you know I feel like the chances early, while they were getting a lot of them, a lot of them weren't that good, and so it allowed Bennington to get no rhythm. And so 15 minutes in, I was like, man, they haven't gotten one by him yet. This spells trouble. And then I was starting to get worried at that point when they hadn't scored a goal yet. And sure enough, you know they. O'Reilly again, fucking O'Reilly. Yeah, unbelievable. Like this guy, it, it, one of one of the most deserving uh, con Smythes I've seen handed out. What, I want what he's on because that <laughs> intense, focused energy, nonstop yeah. every game. I want that. To to go to your last point though, the Bruins had been criticized throughout the series though for getting a little too cute, making too many passes. So I think in this game seven, they were just like. Fuck it, full send, send everything at the net you can. Unfortunately, yes, it did allow Jordan Bennington to get into a rhythm, um, and he looked pro- that was probably his best game of the series, with the possible exception of Game, game five. five, five and seven in Boston. Hey man, those were the most important, right? I guess. Yeah. So play Gloria if that's your thing. Man, Sorry. what a pl- what a what a playoffs. I had such fun with this postseason. So many interesting storylines. So many surprises, twists and turns. It's a little bit tough looking for um, the Bruins going forward because Toronto's only going to get better. Florida's going to be up and coming next year. They're, um, so they're going to be somebody to watch out for. You know, it's it's tough. Everything is going to start tightening up. A lot of their guys are getting getting older. You're going to have to pay some guys pretty soon. Um, Thanks. Yeah, no, it affects the whole legacy. Like I said before, it's frustrating. Yeah, but that's uh, that is the cyclical nature of sports. And when you're when you're really good and you're a contender, uh, people are gonna get old, and you're gonna have to to figure out a way through it. The good thing is, is that you know you're gonna hang on to your your Pasternak, your Marchand, Imagine your if Bergeron. They don't. <laughs> Imagine that would trade, be the most brilliant thing ever. I would be. Yeah. We <laughs> traded David Austin. What? What? <laughs> oh my god. But um, yeah, no. The, the talk today, I couldn't help but notice it. Although I, I don't want to hear it because I've been doing Bruins for the last two months insanely all day every day. Um, so I'm kind of just I need a respite, especially because they didn't win. But the talk today, I couldn't avoid it. Was that potentially Krug getting dealt? Potentially for someone like Winnipeg's um, Ellers, yeah, because they want a, like a showpiece defenseman, a bigger. Uh, well, Krug is a you know point scoring defenseman, and that's big in the NHL right now. Right. And they're getting paid, and the Bruins are going to have to pay McAvoy at some point soon, and then Carlo, uh, and they have Grizzlick. So, um, you know, Krug is valuable. He's valuable to the team, but would they be better served with somebody who can play on the first line who can provide a little more size to play with Bergeron and Marchand instead of have Bergeron, Marchand, and Postanek together? Or would you put someone like Ellers on the second line with Krejci? I I don't know. Do you sign Johansson? A lot of questions. That's just a rumor I saw today was Krug for Ellers. I like that. So we'll see. 
All right. Well, we don't need to uh, to beat you to death with that. NHL draft will be coming up pretty soon. Nothing really you need to know much past uh, Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, but that'll be a lot of fun. So we'll we'll check in again uh, once all that stuff drops and and keep you updated with that. Speaking of championships awarded, the Great White North finally has something to cheer about. Uh, yeah, the Raptors. Yep, win four games to two. Over the Warriors with an asterisk because Kevin Durant was out. And then in game six, the Warriors had the lead. And then Clay Thompson goes down and tears an ACL. Um, I didn't like the play in which Danny Green, you know, Clay Thompson clearly had the dunk. And I, I know, you know, it didn't seem like much. But to me, that bothered me because he had the dunk. And the word, the best you could do there if you were Danny Green. Uh, I don't know. It just was set up for what, injury. Is, is foul him? Let's foul him. Yeah. So for me, I didn't. I didn't like to play, and of course, Clay tears his ACL. He's done, and then the Raptors go on and win Game Six. Um, to me, if Clay stays in the game, they go on, they win Game Six, and then we go to Toronto Game Seven. Uh, who knows what happens? So, you know, I know the Warriors are being really good sports about it, and they, they still they, had a chance they, to to win the game. They they did, but the game was but in Curry's Curry hand. was getting box and one covered, which is that old ridiculous style of defense where they weren't allowing him to get any shots off, and then they were relying on other guys, and other guys were trying to step up, but they were just their limitation on some of the other guys. So, you know, Curry. You know, he did his best, but when you take away anyone else on the team that can really do anything, it's funny to say that the Warriors are so limited, but you take away Durant and Clay, they, they were. Do you think Draymond needed to give more? His thing isn't scoring. It never has been. So, you know, he hit one three towards the end, but that's never been his thing. And I think that he knows, like, him forcing up shots is never the the right never it's never been the right thing for the Warriors to do for him to force up mm-hmm. shots especially that they've had Curry Clay and Durant the guys who can score shooting the ball so Durant has always been uh, I'm sorry Draymond has always been about physical inside presence get the ball down him down low and he finds the open guy he's not the primary guy the primary scorer and if he needs to be then that's put some that puts him out of his comfort zone so you know, I mean, he could have done a little more, but you know, I just felt like uh, you take Clay and KD out of that Warriors system, and you know, it 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 hurts. Yeah, Ka- Kawhi Leonard's a fucking beast, dude. He is unbelievable. Yeah, he's good. Very clutch. Yep, he's very underrated in the NBA. It's weird for, to say this from coming from someone that couldn't stand Kyrie talking so much and being such a limelight toting douchebag all year long and all his career but Kawhi to me has been just too boring and I guess I'm just looking for something in between hmm. maybe something like um like an Al Horford I like the way Al Horford goes about his business <laughs> anyway congrats to the Raptors they win four games to two um we'll see what happens free agency is gonna be I mean, it's supposed to be wild, but I'm starting to get the feeling with KD going down with the injury for a long time and Clay going out with the ACL injury. I have the feeling that they're both going to re-sign with the Warriors, taking them off the free agent market. Kawhi, who knows what he's going to do because he's so weird and who knows what the hell he's going to do. So NBA contracts have this weird thing where they can offer you more money if you stay... With yeah, the they can, same team, Yeah, right? so they can offer you a little bit more and then an extra year. So instead of four years, the, the team that has your rights can offer you the fifth year. So for but, Ka- Kawhi, that would look like about $50 million, right? Yeah, So, but you take the fifth year away, they're going to get paid in that fifth year from some team at least $35 million. Mm-hmm. So they, they're not leaving $50 million on the table. They're, in reality, they're leaving ten to fifteen on the table. Oh, only ten to fifteen million dollars. When you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, which is what they make, and and then you throw in their ridiculous shoe deals and endorsement yeah. deals, the NBA players are doing fine, and you know it becomes like you know almost like pocket change to them. Hmm. So they get what they want. All right. Well, John, it's about that time to head into your MLB Power Tens. MLB Weekend Review. So this has been a big week for the call-ups. The Houston Astros called up uh, outfielder Jordan 
Alvarez, Air Jordan, as they call him. <laughs> he, he did not disappoint. He had a four home runs in his first week called up with the Astros. Um, yeah, he's the guy, and if you're in any fantasy leagues, you wanted to get him, and if you didn't get him, that sucks. If you did get him, good for you. He's going to help out a lot. Um, now looking back at the AL Player of the Week for last week, it was Trevor Bauer, 16.2 innings, one run allowed, including a shout-out on Sunday. The National League, the Player of the Week was Charlie Blackman. Chuck Nasty for the Rockies was 21 for 37 with six home runs and 15 RBIs last week. He was part of that four-game series in Colorado between the Padres and the Rockies where they broke the record for most runs scored in a four-game series in the history of baseball, scoring 92 runs combined in four games. Jesus. That's 92 runs combined in four games. Man, those people got their money's worth. They sure did. They sure did. All right. And other news, Justin Upton returned yesterday for the Angels, making their offense a little bit more formidable with um, – Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, uh, and in his first pitch that he saw upon his return, he hit it out of the park for a home run. And then in news today, late breaking news that we got just before the show, in batting practice while trying to bunt, Max Scherzer broke his nose. Uh, so they're not sure if he's going to be able to pitch tomorrow's game against the Phillies. What would with you need your nose, nose for? I mean, I'm sure they don't want to say a line drive comes back at his face. I'm sure they wouldn't want. It to you know do further damage. Get so, him, get him like one of those, one of those like or something. ladies lacrosse masks. You know what I'm something. talking about? The little I mean, goggles. He's crazy enough. He'll do whatever. You know, he's a <laughs> maniac on the mound. So, I am curious to see how if he does pitch, how he does, and what he does. All right. So that's your news and your players of the week. And let's see the top ten hitters for the last two weeks. Number one, Shohei Otani. Ronald Acuna Jr., Charlie Blackman, Christian Yelich, Ozzy Albies, Mike Trout, Freddie Freeman, Cattell Marte with 20 home runs now for the Diamondbacks, Trey Turner, and David Dahl of the Rockies. Top 10 pitchers for the last two weeks. Number one, Chris Sale. Number two, Charlie Morton. Number three, Mike Fires. Four, Mike Leake. Number five, Mad Max Scherzer. Number six was Jose Barrios. Seven, Masahiro Tanaka of the Yankees. Eight was Trevor Bauer. Number nine, Lance Lynn of the Rangers. And number 10, Lucas Giolito of the Chicago White Sox. And last but not least, the power rankings, my power rankings for uh, this week ending uh, uh, Sunday the 16th. So I did these on Monday. Uh, and we'll start at number 10. The Red Sox riding a six-game win streak have snuck back into the top 10. So the Red Sox are at 10. The Phillies are at number 9. Milwaukee Brewers at number 8. Cubs, number seven. Atlanta Braves, number six. Like I said last week, these four teams will be battling likely for these four spots all season long and be battling for playoff spots. So it goes Philly, Milwaukee, Cubs, Braves. At number five, the New York Yankees check in after their big trade, acquiring Edwin Encarnacion from Seattle. Who knows where they're going to play him when Jordan Stanton comes back, but that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> number four, the Tampa Bay Rays. Number three, Houston Astros. Number two, L.A. Dodgers. And number one for the second straight week is the Minnesota Twins with the best record in baseball. Um, and that's it. That wraps up my uh, MLB Week in Review. Sounds good, Johnny. I think that's probably going to do us for today. We're entering our slow season where we talk about uh, women's national team soccer, golf, and baseball. <laughs> you know, the big three. <laughs> but we'll be doing some fun things throughout the summer, some games. Try and get our lady friends on uh, for a little interview and, and give the listeners... Uh, the next so- show, we'll recap the NBA draft, too. Yeah, yeah. And the NHL draft will be coming up in a couple weeks as well. Uh, so we got we got stuff to talk about, but uh, lots, of, lots of off-season content, if you will, coming up soon as well. So you can, uh, if you want to bother Johnny, go ahead and bother him at Green Mountain Grinder on Twitter. That's Green MT Grinder. On the Twitterscape, and you can find the podcast on Instagram and on Facebook at Green Mountain Sports, Green MT Sports. All right, hold on. I got one more thing. There's a little slight scandal that's developing amongst the New England Patriots in the front oh, office. Oh, right, right, right. We, were gonna, we, we hinted at it earlier. That's right. Okay, so this is the Nick Casario story. Nick Casario, 
uh, and lack for lack of a better term, is the president slash general manager. Um, he's the number one assistant to Bill Belichick. I know Bill Belichick holds all the titles, but Casario is the one that basically is the one who is right underneath him, does most of the work, and probably deserves... Like all the admin shit. Yeah, well, he deserves more credit than he than he gets, you know, because Belichick gets all the credit, you know. But Casario is right there, his right-hand man in the front office, doing a lot of the work, running all, you know, telling all the scouts where to go, this and that, player personnel-wise, and... All, all that stuff. Anyway, so Casario signed a contract a couple years ago where he took a raise, which means mm-hmm. more money. And part of that contract negotiation where he took a raise, more money, and signing this contract, which expires at the end of the 2019 season. That's important. It expires at the end of the 2019 season. So this next coming season, at the end of the year, is when that contract for Nick Casario does expire. Part of it is that he cannot take any interviews with any other teams if they want him. And and that's unusual because they allow coaches and player personnel people to, you know, move up laterally or move laterally to other jobs amongst other teams if they want to. It's pretty a known fact that teams personnel men do that. And they do it quite often actually. And they take a lot of interviews as well. But it, part of the thing is Casario took more money, signed the contract, and he said and the contract says no interviews taken. Well, the Houston Texans have been fighting. Uh, this is not 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 just since this past Super Bowl where the Patriots won, but the year before where the Patriots lost to the Eagles. They were trying to get Nick Casario to come be their GM, and Belichick denied them then, denied the Texans them. Then the opportunity to talk to Casario, and then this past season, they've tried again to talk to Casario, and he shot them down again. But recently, we find out that at the ring party... Well, let's go back because after the Patriots won the Super Bowl and up until now, they've lost five coaching members of their staff. And one of them, one of their members is the uh, character coach, Jack Easterby, Mm -hmm. who decided to quit the Patriots after the Kraft scandal kind of went public where he got the handy. And I think Easterby was like, you know, character. I I can't be with this, this Patriots team anymore. You know, I can't save them. Whatever it is, he decided he couldn't be a member of their team. So... Jack Easterby quits the Patriots and he decides to go to the Houston Texans as uh, their character coach. And the Texans, and so Esterby and Casario obviously know each other from the Patriots. And the Texans, I'm sure, asked Easterby about Casario. And it got it got back, you know, to Belichick and the Patriots organization that at the ring party last Thursday night at Robert Kraft's house, uh, at in one corner of the yard, Casario and Easterby were talking amongst each other. I don't know if Kraft has microphones recording this, but if he did, that would be interesting and pretty funny. Maybe he did because he wants to know what people are saying about his scandal, you know? That's what we're hoping for, right? So anyway, the next day after the ring party last Friday... I'm, st- I'm still really disappointed we didn't get to see his dick. <laughs> Maybe someday. Uh, so the, on Friday, the Texans... Friday morning, the Texans fired their general manager, so the spot opens for their GM. So I think Jack Easterby said, hey... You know, come to the Texans. We'll fire the GM. We'll have a spot for you. You know, come come over there. Hey, that's not a really good character thing to do. That's not a good character thing to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sneak off in the corner at the ring party at your old boss's house and try to and try to get one of your old employees to come work with you. That's Jeez. not a good character thing to do. Wow. Anyway, so <laughs> Belichick finds out about this, of course. Yeah, of course he does, right? Yeah, because he's spying on everyone. Exactly. There's some spying going on there. And he files tampering charges with the league, saying the Texans are interfering with my guy, Casario. Casario is under my control for the next year. You can't have him. Well, now word gets out that Casario has wanted out. And whether it's true or not, now we're hearing it was just an opinion piece in the Globe. But whether it's true or not, this is going to create an awkward relationship going forward for the next year between Casario and Belichick because now is the time of the year where the player personnel guys start going out, checking out the college players and doing their scouting. And, you know, they disperse to all parts of the country to start looking at their next draft draft class for next year, 2020. Yeah, well, we know who's going to be scouting players in Alaska. Exactly. So we know where his office is going to be. In Foxborough, in the broom closet, and we know where he's going to be going for his scouting trips. Nome, Alaska. Uh, so, yeah, 
Because you don't know how much you can trust Casario now, right? Yeah. The guy wants out. He clearly wants to go work for the Texans. Belichick's saying, listen, you signed this contract. I'm not going to let you just walk. You right. know, you're not just going to leave me high and dry at this time of year. If you wanted to do it, I mean, you could have done it a couple of years ago, but then you signed a contract, so you can't do it until next year. And so you work here in the broom closet, and I send you to Alaska. You go to Alaska. Now, that's that's just a joke, but obviously it's going to be an awkward thing for the two of them working together going forward. I don't know how much responsibility he's gonna, Casario is going to have on his plate going forward. We'll see. His contract expires at the end of next year. And the Texans still haven't hired a GM. So I, th- I think that it'll be interesting to see if they just leave that spot open until next for year him? for him. And kind of, you know, let Bill O'Brien and the other guys how soon, handle the duties. How soon can he... Right after the Super Bowl next year, Casario can leave. And that leaves how much time before the draft? Like Oh, months. Months. Months? Yeah, that's like, uh, what, so the draft is in April, so three, four months. That's enough time. Plenty. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. That's an interesting story to follow. Um, there's never a shortage of drama in Foxborough surrounding the Patriots. Always, always something. Yeah, and that something's usually a championship, so. All right, we'll All take right. that. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good day.